What's going on, beautiful people, and welcome into yet another edition of Open Run, presented to you by War Media. My name is Gabriel Wilkins, and I'm back at it once again, running the point. Besides my backcourt mate and co-host, Josh Hicks, as we enter week 15 on the NBA calendar this season. Josh, how you been holding up, my man? Been doing good, my brother. Been doing good. Hope the same with you. Oh, I've been doing excellent. I can't complain at all. In this week's installment of Open Run, me and Josh will go about having a conversation about a pair of all-star centers who are expected to go toe-to-toe against one another in a nationally televised contest for all hoop lovers to check out later on this weekend. On top of resuming our buyers and sellers segment for the third straight week, where we'll discuss whether or not we see a couple of teams within the thick of the play-in race in their respective conferences looking to cash in on prize assets or make an effort to acquire further help to garner a playoff berth in the days and hours leading up to the trade deadline, which is only a couple of weeks away. However, before we do so, let's take out some time to show props to a few teams and players who went about putting together some stellar performances on the way to also reaching a few milestones over the last week as part of our Hoops shout-out segment. Special kudos go out to Brooklyn Nets point guard Kyrie Irving, who became the 147th player in NBA history to reach the 15,000-point plateau this past weekend on the way to scoring himself a game-high 38 points to go alongside nine assists and seven rebounds to help the Nets erase a 17-point deficit behind enemy lines to defeat the Golden State Warriors this past weekend at the Chase Center. In addition to Irvin's teammate in Brooklyn Center, Nick Claxton, who surpassed former Nets big man in the middle, Sean Bradley, on the way to setting a new franchise record of 13 straight games and counting with three blocks or more, while also adding a career-high 24 points and 15 rebounds against the defending champs to help the cause in the comeback victory, as well as Lakers center Thomas Bryant, who became only the third Laker ever in the last 40 years to record 30-plus points and 14-plus rebounds while shooting at least 80% from the floor in a game to help Los Angeles bounce back from down 25 at the half to knock off the Blazers by nine out in Rip City. And last but not least, the Philadelphia 76ers, who recently managed to capture at least five or more consecutive road wins for the first time since they won seven straight games on the road during the 1984-85 season in a streak that began prior to the new year as the group led behind third-year Sixers coach Doc Rivers went 5-0 and on their most recent West Coast road trip, knocking off the Jazz, Lakers, Clippers, Blazers, and Kings to close it out. So we're getting all of that out of the way, Josh. Are there any marquee storylines, teams, or select players who have impressed you over the past week in basketball that we haven't gotten the opportunity to discuss much as of late? Could be at any level. I got one. Uno. One. All right. That is La Familia. 
my cousin Cam Jones, man. He's the big, he's the biggest player of the week this week. Okay. Balling. Um, with Marquette, I was able to, uh, you know, catch a couple of his last games and, uh, He's doing his thing. He averaged 22 points on 50% shooting and shooting over 50, well, close to around 45% from three. So dude's been balling. He's been doing his thing over at Marquette. Marquette now, I believe, is ranked 16th in the, in the nation right now. So they're doing their thing. And, uh, you know, that's family. So I, I'm proud of my fa- I'm proud of my cousin. Uh, he's been doing his thing. He's been pr- he's improved uh, since last year. Now as a sophomore guard. And uh, he's really making some noise over there playing for Shaka Smart. Shaka Smart got that team playing really well um, and, and competitive every night, not just um, at these home games, which, you know, if you've been to a Marquette game at Fiserv Form Arena, that's a whole nother level. It's like, it's, that's a real college atmosphere. But it's also big. They're also playing well on the road, um, only, having, only having, I think, five losses on the season. So big shout-out to Marquette. Special shout-out to my cousin Cam. And they will be playing our – you know, our alumni as alumni of the university playing DePaul uh, this weekend. I will, yeah. be the, I will be in the building for that game. So um, I just got to I got to give a special shout out to the family, man. He's been doing he's doing this thing. Oh, indeed. Anytime you take home Big East player of the week honors. And I was just about to ask you if they was ranked because I've been catching some of their games a little bit. and They've been making some noise. I actually saw a little bit of his highlights as well. So I know he's, you know, improved his game and worked on it and shocker being a Wisconsin native he definitely has that program buzzing that's a positive thing to see especially when you consider the rich history that Marquette has even though as a DePaul alum that's always been the arch rival nonetheless <laughs> but you know you got to give him kudos when when it when it's earned and it's definitely been earned for him but I, I know we've given the Nets a ton of discussion time off and on throughout the year, and rightfully so for the most part as of late, because they've been winning, even in spite of the unfortunate injury to Kevin Durant. However, I have to tip my cap to a guy on that squad, man, who we have not discussed much at all. As phenomenal as Kyrie Irving's been over his last three games, dropping 30-plus or more in those outings, and that's the man who I shouted out earlier to open it up, Nick Claxton, man. Nick Claxton, he's averaging nearly 13, nine rebounds and nearly three blocks a game. And he's shooting a league best 73% from the floor as it is recorded, which if he was to finish with that percentage, it seasons in, I believe would be the second highest percentage in league history behind Mitchell Robinson, when he led the league in field goal percentage a couple of years ago. Claxton is not just only leading the league in field goal percentage, though. He's arguably been the biggest beneficiary from Kyrie Irving's playmaker, uh, playmaking ability, excuse me, in the pick-and-roll game, stepping up in the absence of Durant with some big outings. He's put up 20 or more points in his last three outings, which have all culminated and Nets wins with the exception of one, all the while running the floor in transition, managing to get back on defense, protecting the rim. This dude can switch from one through five. We talk a lot about Jaron Jackson Jr. and his defensive impact on the Memphis Grizzlies. We don't talk enough about what Nick Claxton is doing in his fourth year out of Georgia, man. And he's doing it all the while averaging a near double-double stat line this month. And 
when you put all that together, I don't see why he shouldn't be in the running for most improved player, but also defensive player of the year. Because last year, as we know, this Nets team struggled a great deal defensively. Jock Vaughn, since taking over for Steve Nash, has simplified the defensive packages and just told guys, hey, man, give me your max effort. And Nick Claxton has been one of those guys. I don't know how he may hold up in the playoffs going up against some big men with more girth, such as Embiid and, you know, Robert Williams in the East. Mm-hmm. That remains to be seen. But over the course of the regular season, he's held his own. And hopefully he continues to keep building off of these performances. Because if he does, I, I like Brooklyn's chances moving forward once they do get KD back into the mix. And last but not least, there's so many guys I could shout out this week. Tyrese Maxey had a big game where he put up 32 in a comeback win out in Sacramento. Montrez Harrell coming off the bench, putting up double figures as well. Kyle Anderson had a nice week out in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. But I got to show love to a second-year big. Rocket Center, Alperen Singum, the big man out of Turkey. A guy that we more than likely going to see on that Rising Stars stage a few weeks from now. Salt Lake City in Utah, man. And he's showing some signs of a player that Houston could seriously build their roster around very soon. He's averaging 15 points, nine rebounds, with three assists on 57% shooting from the field this year. I had the privilege of checking this guy out right after Christmas when he played against the Bulls at the United Center. He put up 25 points, 11 rebounds, with six dimes. And I think that was the game where he turned the corner. I understand, you know, Houston's on a 13 game losing skid, that they're uh, among the worst teams in the league. I believe they have the worst record in basketball. But if you're not watching this guy right now, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. If you if you like guys like Nikola Jokic, Sengun's your guy. And he has a great feel for the game, A1 level footwork inside can rotate well on the defensive end when he's locked in and engaged. He knows how to protect the rim as well. And then when you add in his court vision, man, and his ability to shoot the three ball, it's scary. He's a multi-level scorer, and and he can run your offense. He's kind of like Domas Sabonis a little bit as well out in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. I think if they get this guy some more minutes, he can really continue to elevate his play. He just had a game where he put up 33, 15, 6, and 4 on the Lakers a week ago on Martin Luther King Day. You know, that that's that's scary. He's averaging a double-double almost in the month of January and shooting 60% from the floor. Everybody talks about Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., rightfully so. But Alperin Sengun, when he was drafted, was viewed by most scouts and executives to be the steal of the draft. I think he's showing why. Wow, that's a, that's definitely a player that um I need to check out more often because clearly one one of the obviously special um gifts that you have, Gabe, and obviously we don't do this often enough. So you, I'm about to compliment you. Appreciate um, it. But but um one of the gifts that you uh you're really good at is when you watch games you always know how to pay attention to the player that doesn't get the most attention you know how to 
bring up the bring up the evaluation of a player that's not as known and put and you know put them on and put everyone on notice saying this is someone you need to pay attention to because and nine times out of ten whenever I had to pay attention to that person you recommend the dude shows me why we need to be watching this person more often and that is something that is special um and honestly um a talent and skill that you need when it comes to evaluating this game that having someone for like that for Houston though is going to help speed up their process from, from of, of this rebuilding, retooling process. It's going to speed it up pretty quickly because you already got talented players. You already got your franchise star, Jalen Green. You, you, you mentioned a nice sidekick in Kevin Porter Jr. Um, and amongst others. But having a strong big man like that, that can actually do a little bit of everything. You're talking about you comparing them in, a, in your own way to like a smaller or lesser talented version of Nikola Jokic. We can see if you have a talent, a big man talented like Jokic, you're pretty much you can go far. No matter who's on your team, you can go pretty far. The fact that Houston has that for the most part, and he's just tapping into what that potential really can be. Give him a couple of years along with that young core that's there. Houston can make some noise, serious noise, as long as they continue to progress and develop, and on both ends of the floor, especially growing with a coach like uh, like Stephen Silas. Man, uh, that's. That's the, Houston. You you got problems now, but you may not have too many problems moving forward as long as you guys keep continue to keep this up. Oh, I agree. And, and Sangoon is is looking like that building block. I don't know if they got that face of the franchise just yet. I like Jalen Green, and he definitely has that factor. He definitely has that ability that stands out to you when you watch him on the highlight reel. But he's seeking to develop some levels of consistency with his game. And sometimes he has nights where he has, you know, ill-advised shot selections. He can sometimes fall asleep defensively. And these are things that you wish that he had a veteran around him to get the message in his ear a little bit more, if not a couple more vets. I know Eric Gordon has been very vocal about how this team needs to make strides rather quickly on a defensive end and in regards to effort if they want to take that next step as a group and grow and elevate up in the West. But a guy like Sangoon, who you can run your offense through and is a fundamentally sound player, I think he's going to be around for a while there. And a lot of guys in the league are starting to take notice. You hear Anthony Edwards talking about it in post-game press conferences and even other veterans such as Rudy Gobert talking about how they noticed the improvement from year one to year two with Alper and Sengun, who if he continues to play at the rate that he has been playing at, I would not be shocked if he's an all-star within the next few years as this team seeks to ascend upward in the West. But I like to move the show along from discussing the top things that stood out the most to us over these past several days to highlight a recent incident that unfolded between Pro Football Hall of Fame tight end and current co-host of Undisputed and Shannon Sharp and Grizzlies forward Dylan Brooks, all-star guard John Morant, as well as Morant's father T prior to halftime in Memphis's tilt versus the Lakers this past weekend out in L.A. Words were exchanged between Sharp and Brooks at the onset of things that will soon escalate into a heated encounter with John Morant, who approached the three-time Super Bowl champ with some words of his own. 
Grizzly Center, Stephen Adams also chipped in, followed by Morant's pops. Prior to security separating players and coaches from Sharp, who was sitting courtside and soon escorted from the floor by security at the half, prior to him returning to his seat during the third quarter, Morant's father and Sharp took time to make amends, taking time to talk with one another, shook up just shortly before the fourth quarter. Sharp issued a public apology on the incident days later on Undisputed to kick off the week, saying that he takes full-on accountability for the events that transpired and that he's not too big to say that he's sorry. I know, Josh, that you brought this up prior to us recording this episode, saying this is something that we needed to talk about. Now, I agree. I start off first, man. My initial reaction to this incident was like, man, what, what led to it? Cause it just it just it just caught me out the blue, you know. Like I was, I just walked away from the TV at half, and then as they were about to start the second half, they were showing clips of what all ensued. And then first thing I did was get on social media. It was like, well, what words were exchanged? Because it was obvious that some words were exchanged, and it, it got real heated, and it led Shannon to just um, losing his cool. And you know, mm-hmm. I got nothing but love for Shannon Sharp. And I, I think he's great at his job and what he does, but I think it's, it's, it's really a bad look, you know, when you see figures in the media, you know, flipping out on players like that. I understand words were exchanged according to what Shannon said to Dave McMenamin. He was saying that Dylan Brooks was too small to guard LeBron. And... Dylan Brooks didn't take too kindly to that, issued a few expletives. Shannon fired back with some expletives of his own, and that's what kick-started this whole fiasco. But I'm I'm, I'm proud of Shannon for, for owning up to, to what he did and apologizing for it because it's the, it's the elder statesman in all of this, and as a media figure at that, it's like, you know, you 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 got to know how to let some things just roll. I, I'll say this: you are absolutely right with that with that take. Not disputing that at all. And Shannon Sharp knew better. He definitely knew better. So I'm glad he came out and apologized for that. But I'm gonna take it from the player side of things. Dylan Brooks, he knew who he was talking to. He knew. So since he knew. Brother, let's be very serious here. Shannon Sharp deserves all the respect in the world compared to what compared to you. No disrespect whatsoever. You are an NBA player. You earned your bread. You know, you're doing great things for the Memphis Grizzlies, and you're making a small market team really become relevant in a lot of ways. Um, that was unexpected. We applaud you for that. But let's be very serious here. Shannon Sharp is, the, is not, not only one of the top media figures in the, in the world right now, considering he's on one of the top you know, sports talk shows on one of the biggest networks. He's also a Hall of Famer. He's also a three-time Super Bowl champion. You know, he knows what it's like to win championships, and you haven't barely made it to the uh, second round of the playoffs. You know, when you going in your locker room saying, "Oh, that pedestrian, or that walking pedestrian shouldn't be, shouldn't have come back to the to, into the into the stadium," bro. At some point, you need to keep your cool too. You got to show respect where it's due. Because if anything, Shannon Sharp is the one person that really deserves respect, considering 
not just his resume on the field, but off the field too. And because of that, I don't care how heated it gets. You talk, we talk, we agree with the fact that Shannon Sharp shouldn't have let things go that far. Dylan Brooks shouldn't have let these, those things go that far too. Because at the end of the day, he's a spectator and he's a fan. And he actually gets paid to do what he does on the court, on the TV screen. So at the end of the day, Dylan, you got to keep your cool. Because if you over here saying F you, which is apparently what he was saying to Shannon Sharp, those fighting words from where he come from. You know, like those are fighting words. And Shannon Sharp is the first person to tell you that, you know, yo, I'm a brother from the hood. This, this is what we do. So from the player's perspective, it goes back to the earlier conversations of players versus fans. Players should, fans should have a lot of respect for players for sure when it comes to them, their chants and the way they say things and what they say during games. That is a fact. But at some point, players do got to keep their cool too. And if there's an issue, you let certain people with authority handle those things, such as security, et cetera. I agree with that. For him to take things to that next level by saying F you and then continuing it after the, in the locker room by saying, oh, we're calling just a pedestrian. Oh, no, brother, you, you took things too far. You in L.A. This L.A. is full of cities of celebrities. That's a celebrity that's worth, that's worth sitting courtside at Laker games because of his resume. And because of what he does off the court, off the field, you know, let's 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 be mindful of who you're talking to. Just like Shannon Sharp, he has to be mindful of what he does. Dylan Brooks and other players on that Grizzlies team, they got to be mindful of who they're talking to, too, who they're dealing with. In reality, where they are, because I'm, I don't want to be that person to take things that much further. But this is also the facts. The Grizzlies are known in the league. Further toughness, you know, their trash talk. We get it. Who was a team back in earlier days that was similar to that? Bad Boys Pistons. You know, those type of teams that the league really didn't like. Except this, except in this era, we actually liked the Grizzlies. But when you talk that talk, you better provide, you better, you better back up what you say. The way the Grizzlies do that is by playing on the court. And last time I checked, like I said before, Dylan Brooks, you guys haven't went past the second round of the, of, the, of, the, of the playoffs. Yes, you're at the top of the West right now, but you're also playing against the Los Angeles Lakers. They won a title in the last four years. They have LeBron James on their team, who's arguably the GOAT of this generation. You know, these are people that you got to watch who you're talking to, who you're dealing with. You got issues with the Warriors. Warriors won four, four titles in the last six years, bro. Have y'all sniffed the Western Conference Finals? No. Nah. So they gotta, you got to be cognizant of who you deal with. That's that, and that's the biggest thing for me. I think it was disrespectful how Dylan uh, came at Shannon Sharp, just like Shannon Sharp was disrespectful and going back at Dylan Brooks. But even the team as a whole, like y'all got to be mindful that if you're going to talk that talk, you better walk that walk too. And walking that walk means you got to win on every level that you can because the people you're talking to, especially throughout this league, nine times out of ten, have gone further than where you're going. And that's something that they have to be mindful of too, especially people like Dylan Brooks, who, who although is a great player, is not the main face of that franchise, not even the second main face of that franchise. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta understand where the realities lie with, with with people who you're dealing with. And you know, you you bring up a good point on, you know, how in spite of Memphis's success over the last three years, 
how they're still seeking to elevate in the West, going from that team that was in the plan a few years ago to a team that has championship aspirations. And they're known as fun as they are to watch, to talk a lot of trash. You had John Morant do an interview with ESPN leading up to that Christmas Day showdown that they had against Golden State saying, I'm not worried about anyone in the West. Mm -hmm. But yet they followed that up with a lackluster outing. And guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. were getting into foul trouble, weren't being disciplined. And in turn, that led to them getting knocked out by double digits in front of a nationally televised audience. And this is a team that every time they play in L.A. now, especially against the Lakers, you really have to watch their games closely. Because I don't know if you recall, remember last year, Desmond Bain and LeBron had words and got face-to-face with one another. And I understand that this is a group that wants to stick it to everybody, improve it. I also understand that as an athlete, whether you're talking to a spectator at courtside or 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 celebrity spectator or former athlete such as Shannon Sharp, which he is, I understand when you hear that, oh, you're too small comment, how that could not necessarily rattle you, but at least make you say, oh, okay. Like is it like we got a problem? In other words, I can understand how he he reacted that way, but at the same time, you got to play through the through the game. Mm-hmm. Fans are gonna be saying stuff left and right, whether that's Shannon Sharp at courtside, uh, the six figure, or or the guy or the millionaire that's sitting courtside. And I've sat courtside. I've had the privilege of sitting courtside a couple times in games. That happens, even though I'm the type of spectator who if I'm sitting courtside or even on the 100 level at a Bulls game or any arena in the NBA, I'm chill. But everybody else ain't going to be like that. But I, I, I thought that it was, it, was, it was a wild look. And it just goes to show just how things between players in the NBA and media figures can quickly spiral out of control. And I think a lot of this stems from what we are seeing across the social media channels in which we consume and utilize to talk about this game that we love. But I want to ask you real quick, Josh, before we move along, do you believe that beef between players and media figures has gone too far? And if so, man, like in your own words, why do you think that is? Well, before I answer that question, you know I'm not going to let you slide over here talking about you've been courtside and everything at these games. <laughs> We're talking about you the slide, how you slid. You see how smooth you slid that in, bro? Talking about, yeah, I've been courtside at a couple of these games. I don't do that, but that's what they do. Like, I have. It's been a minute. It's been a minute, but I but I have been. I have set courtside before. Oh, it's yeah, a lovely game, experience for those who haven't. You, you been to, I just want to be like you when I grew up. That's all I want to say. I just want to be like you when I grew up. But to answer your question, man, do I think it's gone too far? Not necessarily. I think there's certain instances where it can go too far, but the overall talking of the game, trash talking, you know, beefing, that's why I hope made the league so fun now. When you talk about previous history, 
the beef with the with the with the rivalry. That's how rivalry started. The Lakers and the Celtics, Bulls and the Pistons, and it's the Bulls and the Knicks. You know, like all these rivalries where people hate each other. Like they don't hate each other personally per se, but in the game, yeah, they hate each other. That's part of what makes the game fun. It's part of what makes the games competitive and that much more entertaining to watch because you know there's a certain edge that comes to the agenda that both of these teams or both of these players are going to have against each other. But do I think K can go too far? Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. Um, friend of ours, Brandon Scooby Robinson, tweets, he says this all the time. NBA is the new WWE. It's hilarious. Like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's just true. It's always some type of storyline where someone has beef for somebody. And let's be serious. They're not going to go. It's not like they're going to fight on the court anymore. It's not like they're going to go back, go in the back and try to and try to and do some other crazy stuff. We're not happy. We don't have any Gilbert Arenas players that's bringing guns to locker rooms. Like it's not. It's not like any of that stuff is taking place. But it's fun to hear. And I think I saw it on the rundown. We when you, where you might have mentioned, you know, how NBA players and during those beefs are starting to act like rappers. And yeah, journalists too. And, yeah, and it like because being being a journalist now and in the media lane is like being a new rapper. Everybody's looking for clout, everybody's looking for clicks, everybody's looking for views, and they'll do anything or say anything to spark an instant reaction. And players now have the ability, unlike players of past eras and decades, to shoot and fire right back whether that's through social media or with a podcast, such yeah. as what Draymond Green has. It does a hell of a job at that, by the way. You, you see him even having encounters with, with regular media members, talk about the new media and stuff like that, which I understand what he's talking about. But if you don't know what he's talking about when he says that, it could get lost in translation and you might think, well, you know, he doesn't really like these guys. And he might not like these those guys, but if he doesn't like them, he just doesn't like them for the way in which they go about conducting their business. Right. Because everybody is so quick to want to get that hot takeoff or say that wow bar, which in turn leads to a lot of hostility. And one of the main reasons why you're seeing so much security present in NBA games more than ever before because I can't recall a time in my life, especially in the past, where I've seen so many NBA stars roll into games with security present to the point where they got them on the sideline with them each and every night working on behalf of not only them, but the team. That's crazy. And that just goes to show you how the sign of the times has changed and you do have a lot of fans on top of media figures, be it former players or just regular media members who just think that they can say any given thing without dealing with the repercussions or consequences behind it. It might not necessarily lead to you getting punched like certain reporters might have in the 90s if they said some wild stuff. I mean, we seen John Calipari when he was at UMass get into it with the, the late John Chaney. Mm-hmm. Over words that was change exchange. Uh, 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 you 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 you've had in, in various sports realms, you know, beyond basketball. So like this ain't nothing new, but it's elevated now because it's like what you want. Like you don't had Kevin Durant 
and Kendrick Perkins having a war of words across Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's very true. Drake actually says it best in, uh, in one of his songs where he said, I swear it's music and sports are so synonymous because you want to be them and they want to be us. There's a reason why he said that outside of just the fact that there are some players that are musically inclined, a.k.a. Dame Dollar, <laughs> you know, and then at, then, then these rappers want to be athletes, a.k.a. Drake. Like, there's reasons, there's, there's a deeper meaning to that. That's part of the meaning to where to a point where you know players do play that sort of rap beef game because they know the repercussions of what it will look like if they took it to the court and they started fighting on the court the league has been so strict on that now i'm sure no one's really going to want to fight because they want to mess up their bread however you know i'm gonna let you know how i feel and they do it and they do it in different ways similar to how rappers do it in the, in the game the difference is Damn, that was the only one that can drop a real rap song that has a that that, that that has a diss track to it, and we can actually listen to it. But like, oh, dang, he he he, he all right. You, you see how he almost came after Pat Beverly last night in that in, in that yeah. last game. Like it's that's why I wish I can listen to a Dame Dollar diss track. But you know that's neither here nor there. I, I it, it just amazes to me how there is such a correlation between the two. Really, we when it comes to rappers and music and athletes in the sports that they play. There really is. And I think that's just a layer that's not often discussed, but now is illuminated in such a way that you have no choice but to talk about it because it's so prevalent. I agree. And it's a lot of dudes in the league that got issues with, with Pat Bev. And don't get me wrong, I got nothing but love for Pat. He's Chicago native and all of that. But, like, as much as I love the guy, he he could get under my skin. I think he's, he's just one of those guys where – Unless if you play with him, you really don't like him. I mean, DeMar DeRozan even was, was had to, to give him some work, not only on the court, but with some words as well last year when he was posting them up saying, hey, he too small, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, basically. And he, he really had no choice but to accept that one because he was getting his ass handed to him. <laughs> but moving away from the events that unfolded, this weekend out in Tinseltown to discuss the third returns from NBA All-Star fan voting, which were revealed just prior to the conclusion of last week as the official starters who are penciled in by the fans to represent the East and West for the league's premier gala are set to be announced later on this week as fan voting just officially wrapped up this past weekend. Lakers forward LeBron James who remains the leading vote-getter among all players and the top in the Western Conference with over 6 million votes, is set to be named team captain yet again for the sixth straight year in a row since the event allowed the leading vote-getters from each conference to serve as such and pick from a select pool of their all-star peers to formulate the teams regardless of conference. While Bucks forward Giannis Antetokounmpo has now passed Nets forward Kevin Durant as the lead vote getter on the Eastern Conference side of things, garnering a tally of over 5.9 million total votes from fans in the third all-star fan voting returns. Should Antetokounmpo remain in the top spot as the leading vote getter, it would mark the third time in which the two-time MVP has been selected as the team captain. Kevin Durant 
and Jason Tatum, who has solidified his position and holds a 100,000 vote lead over Joel Embiid for the third and final spot in the East front court, round out things as we currently stand beside Antetokounmpo in the front court for the East going into the announcement of the starters set to be officially revealed on TNT this upcoming Thursday evening. Donovan Mitchell and Kyrie Irving still hold the top two spots down to represent the East in the backcourt. James is still projected to take the court in Salt Lake City with his teammate Anthony Davis, who holds a 77,000 plus vote over a vote lead, excuse me, over Zion Williamson for the third and final spot in the West front court and Nikola Jokic, who has the second most votes among front court players in the conference. Stephen Curry and Luka Doncic are on pace to serve as the guards of jurisdiction in the West. Jalen Brunson still not among the top 10 in all-star fan voting among guards in the East. However, De'Aaron Fox has recently crept up into the top 10 of all-star fan voting for guards out West. Domas Sabonis has also climbed into the top 10 as well of the fan voting in the front court for the West as the tallies from Sacramento appear to be coming in heavily as of late. So just to, to give my two cents on it, I think the fans have the starting five right for the most part. I can't really complain with it. I think that third spot in the East front court is going to be interesting to see who gets it because I always saw it coming down to Joel Embiid and Jason Tatum. Me personally, I would like to see Embiid get the nod over Tatum, even though I believe Tatum is the front runner for the MVP award as we currently record this. But if Tatum gets it, I, I really can't argue against them. The, the, the front court race in the West is interesting as well between AD and Zion for that third and final spot. But I think at the end of the day, AD will get it. I would love to see Zion in the game, and I hope he can get in as reserve if he's unable to get in as a starter and hopefully play in the game in front of the fans because, as we know, Josh, the last time he made it to the All-Star game, which was his first All-Star appearance, it was in that pandemic, you know, realm where it was in Atlanta. And it was it was set up last minute and fans, it was, it was only like a limited amount of fans. It'd be nice to see him get that love and honor if he could. But the injury in which he suffered, you know, and him missing a, a few weeks as of late has kind of put a a tough, you know, hampering on his his chances, it seems like, for getting that spot, even though AD is currently hurt himself, but he's set to resume and return to action very soon. But do you do you think the fans got, got it right up until this point, in spite of the fact that Austin Reeves still has more total votes than De'Aaron Fox, and Derrick Rose has more tallies than both Darius Garland and Jalen Brunson? <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, when you talk about starting five potentially – yeah, they got it right. I kind of expected <laughs> them to get it right, you know, because it's not too difficult to go with. However, I'm still not going to let them slide with this blasphemy that they could, that they put out here for the bottom half of the of this voting. That's crazy, ain't it? 
it is just <laughs> it is despicable like how do they have the the audacity to put Derrick Rose who much I love I'm a huge D Rose fan but let's be serious the man barely played this year barely played the mellow ball the mellow ball barely played this year he hurt now yeah, he just got he just he just injured his ankle. I was watching that game last week against Houston, and it's looking like he's not gonna be back until probably a couple weeks from now. And with the way that the Hornets are playing, they have every incentive to rest them because they in the Wimbenyama sweepstakes. Right. I, I'm just looking. I'm just looking at this like this. Just Austin Reeves. I don't know. This is. I, I just. I just don't get it, man. The, this is just disgusting how they disrespecting Darian Fox, Darius Garland, and Jalen Brunson. It just does not make sense to me. And I get it. Like I said before in the previous show, you know, All-Star Game is supposed to be entertaining. So you want to see the best of the best. I understand. However, Basketball 101 should tell you if you have a player that has improved in his stats, especially dramatically, and their team is winning games to a point where they are in playoff contention, especially in the top seven, that player should be in the all-star game. That's a given. Now, has it always been the case? No. We're not, I'm not saying that, you know, it's like it should be like that every year because depending on the circumstances based on the players, yeah, some players deserve certain nods over others that are that may not be playing at their best. I understand that. But this year, this doesn't make sense. No, Darius Garland is literally at the bottom. De'Aaron Fox is at the bottom. Jalen Brunson doesn't even have enough votes to even be mentioned. I am just appalled by this belligerent blasphemy that has come with the fans in this voting. Something has to change, Okay. Something has to change. If we don't eliminate the fan voting, by all means, I don't want to eliminate it. We got to add another demographic that tones that, that, that dials down a percentage of input and emphasis on who gets to go through fan voting. Because clearly, I love you as our NBA audience that listen to the show. We love y'all, but guess what? Some of your friends are delusional as heck. I'm sorry. I just have to put it out there. <laughs> this is delusional. They don't know basketball like we know basketball, okay? There's no reason why Darius Garland, Darren Fox, and Jalen Brunson, as far as those main three is concerned, are having the years, the careers that they're having, and their teams are winning at the rate that they're winning. There's no reason why they should be at least in this top five when you talk about guards on both the West and the East. Does not make any sense. So, yeah. I'll give, I'll give them like 50% of this grade when you talk about they, how they got half of it right with the first half and the starters. But outside of that, uh, no, 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 no. They, they don't get the rest from me. It's just straight coil and rocks. They don't <laughs> get that from me because this it just shows how bad and how great fan voting really is. And the crazy part about Austin Reeves getting all these votes and being in the top 10 among guards is that he has more votes than Devin Booker. And I understand that Devin Booker has been out of action the last several weeks due to a groin injury, if I'm not mistaken. 
But still, Devin Booker, prior to injury, had Phoenix in the top five of the Western Conference. He was actually within the thick of the MVP conversation. I understand that the Los Angeles Lakers brand is very strong. I understand that even the Brooklyn Nets brand is strong enough to where you even have a guy like Nick Claxton, even though he's improved among the top 10 and players in the front court. I get it. But if the Nets fans are voting like that, my question is, where are the Knicks fans for Jalen Brunson? Where are they? Because he plays in a big market. Now, I can understand if Jalen Brunson played in Indiana. I can understand if Jalen Brunson played even in Oklahoma City, as great as their fan base is. But to not be in the top 10, when you consider what he's been doing over the last 15-plus games for New York, that's wild to me. And to have Derrick Rose over him, it makes me wonder, is his impact in China and overseas still that great after all of these years? As much as I have nothing but love for Derrick Rose, as, as I know you do as well, Josh, like that's that's amazing to me that he's still able to get these votes when he's a third-string point guard on his roster. And it it you you can't help but wonder like how many people are really taking the time to watch these games and, and so forth, because you had Domas Sabonis finally getting to the top 10, but for the last couple of weeks. Kawhi Leonard was up there, who actually been playing some stellar basketball as of late. Not take anything away from him in his star power, but he hasn't played much of the season. But I want to ask you real quick, Josh, do you who or who do you believe, excuse me, should get the third and final spot in the East front court besides the top two vote getters and Giannis and KD? who appear to have those spots locked up. If you had to choose between Joel Embiid and Jason Tatum for that final spot in the East front court, who would it be? Joel. It, it, it has to go to Joel. Joel, you need mind you, as great as Jason Tatum has been, as, as well-deserving as being the number one option right now for MVP. Joel Embiid has been on a tear. From a big man perspective, he's the only center listed in the top 10 outside of Nick Claxton. That should show you something right there that Joel Embiid is worthy of being a top five option in voting. That should be that should be a given right there. But Joel Embiid's number is the second leading scorer in the league. Joel Embiid is the reason why Philadelphia, in a lot of ways, were able to stay afloat. And now they're a top three team in the Eastern Conference. Joel Embiid also doesn't get as much love as he deserves in a lot of ways for what he does from a talent perspective. Because Jason Tatum, from the guard perspective, fourth perspective, whatever the case may be, we already know how great he is. But Joel Embiid is pulling up these historic numbers as a center, aside from Nikola Jokic, who was the two-time MVP, and he was always been second runner-up to. Joel Embiid deserves much more love than he's getting. Now... When it comes to MVP voting and all that type of stuff, that's another conversation. But for right now, yeah, 
for what he's done with Philly compared to what Jason Tatum has done in Boston. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, what they got in Boston is great. And they've, you know, improved in so many different ways, especially on the bench. That's made them a, such a scary team. But Joel Embiid has been playing most of this first half of the season without Tyrese Maxey or James Harden, especially at the same time. And yet Joel Embiid has brought the Sixers to still a top three team in the Easter Conference and the second leading scorer on the team. In second, I mean, some not on the team, in the league. Right. Come on now. Come on now. We, we can't be that disrespectful to him. That doesn't make sense. So he got to have that third. He got to have that third slot because he literally deserved it and carried more of the weight than what Jason Tatum has had to do this so, so far this season. Well, I, I know one thing, regardless of who gets bumped off for that third and final spot, one of them will be selected as reserve for sure. And they will be among the first selected among the reserves in the Eastern Conference. But to add to your points on Embiid, since the turn of the new year, he's scored at least 30 points or more in every single game. Every single game. And that's kind of scary to think about, especially when you also add to the fact that he's on pace to become the first center since Bob McAdoo in 1976 to average at least 30 or more in back-to-back seasons. Uh, You know, I I agree with you. And and we're going to get into him a little bit down the road and move on and segue away from NBA All-Star talk to the Bulls. Recently took over Paris, returned to the place in which they hadn't been since the days of the dynasty years, led by the man known as MJ to play in front of a sellout crowd of countless international fans, former NBA legends, and the projected number one overall pick in this year's draft, Victor Wimbenyama, against their arch rival Detroit Pistons, is part of the league's Paris game, winning the affair in wire-to-wire fashion, led behind Zach Levine's 30 points, to go alongside of DeMar DeRozan's 26 and Nikola Vucevic double-double night to win by 18 in their lone game from last week. Bulls are currently sitting in the 10th and final spot of the East play-in picture, taking on Atlanta as of this recording. However, in the midst of the Bulls' win against Detroit last week, NBA Reveal is top-selling team merchandise and jersey list based on NBAStore.com sales from the first half of this season. Bulls finished fifth overall among teams on the top-selling team merchandise list based on sales metrics from NBAStore.com, while their central division rival in the Milwaukee Bucks sit a spot above them at fourth overall on the list. Lakers, Celtics, and Warriors make up the top three in that order. I find it so funny how the Chicago Bulls, a team that has only made it to one 
conference finals appearance in the last quarter century still has one of the most recognizable brands in all of sports and sit among the top five, if not round out the top five in best-selling team merchandise. But you know what I found funny in that? How a small market franchise such as the Milwaukee Bucks sits above them in number four. And I know why. Okay, I get it. It's all because of the Greek freak, Giannis. The fact that they have built a winner in Milwaukee. They actually have a nice brand that they've established during his tenure there. I even like the Bucks and following the Bucks, but I just find that interesting. And to me, what that tells me is, is that in spite of your off the court brand being so strong your on-court product is not where it needs to be because if it was it would easily easily be above the milwaukee bucks i just have a hard time seeing that picture is someone who lives in chicago and knows that the bulls are a big market franchise. And the thing that I find even more funny is, yeah, you're top five in team selling merchandise, but you fail to feature any player on the top selling jersey list. As the first half sales results show, Stephen Curry, LeBron, and Giannis currently standing as the top three selling jerseys in the order in which they're named, followed by Luka Doncic, Kevin Durant, and Ja Morant at four through six, respectively. Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, Joel Embiid, and Damian Lillard round out the top 10 of the best-selling jersey list through the first half of the year. The last time the Bulls have had a player ranked in the top 15 in jersey sales was back in 2016-17 when Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade both made the cut. And the thing that's interesting to me is like among the five most popular NBA teams on social media ranking, the Bulls are number two on Facebook, number four on Instagram and Twitter is the other teams that occupy the top five are all organizations who have won championships in this millennium. We know why that brand is strong. It's their dominance in the 90s. And they're still like the third most popular team in international merchandise sales and among the top five most popular teams on NBA League Pass outside the U.S., according to current league figures. And like Liz just released the list of most popular jerseys sold in the offseason in 2022. Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, and Dennis Rodman were all in the top 10. But I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And outside of the element of nostalgia, why do you think that so many people still have such a grand love affair with the Bulls after all these years? One person, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. That man right there is the one lone reason the GOAT himself 
he's the that's the main reason why the Bulls are always going to be relevant. That's one. That's the main reason why the the merchandise and the team is ever going to go down. Because when you think about what Michael Jordan did, not just for the Bulls, but for the league and international basketball, Michael Jordan played on every component that led to the growth of international basketball. We talk about, you know, you just mentioned Bulls going to Paris to play in, playing basketball over, over in Paris. Jordan being part of the 92 Olympic team in Barcelona. You know, like those events outside of just NBA basketball really helped expand the league and the direction the league was trying to go. And Michael Jordan was the face of that league. So having all that combined with the fact that this dude is a genius businessman and his retro shoes are selling all across the world. It's a given why the Bulls will always be a brand because Michael Jordan is the brand. There is no Chicago Bulls without Michael Jordan. That's just the reality. But the problem is, is what Jerry Reinsdorf has been doing ever since he had the Bulls and won those, and won those six titles. You feeding off the bread that comes from it. You ain't won nothing since. And in, and in a lot of ways, yeah, like you don't care if we win or not. That's the problem. Because it, it, it literally took all this time for us to even have a decent team since Derrick Rose. Since Derrick Rose, the Bulls have the Bulls have been in a lot of ways irrelevant up until literally last season. Yeah, and that took a new regime to come in, fix it up, put patch up all the air, all the wall, all the wall, all the holes in the wall, and get this thing moving. But now we're sitting in a situation where, in a lot of ways, we regressed this last season in every level, and. We seem to be okay with it because at the end of the day, we still have one of the top fan, uh, top 10 attendances in the league. Every year. Every, Every year. year. And that's why I'm bringing this up because I feel like we need to have this conversation and we've talked about it off and on very often over the last year and a half, the two years doing shows together, man. Like I get the nostalgia element. I get the MJ factor. Last Dan show. Mm-hmm. That people, you know, really love the Bulls. Still, I, I I get that, but outside of that, I don't get it. And I see a brand, even as a native Chicagoan, that's turning into the Dallas Cowboys brand, and it's scaring me. Because once upon a time, I used to say that the Chicago Bulls are to the NBA with the San Francisco 49ers were to the NFL in the 80s. Ooh. But I can't say that no more. You, you know why I can't say that? Even though the Niners last won a Super Bowl in 1994, the Niners have gone to two Super Bowls in the last 11 years. They've also been to multiple NFC Championship games in the last Decade. They're going back with two year. different coaches, might I add. Meanwhile, on the other hand, the Bulls, if not for a miraculous season led behind the MVP Derrick Rose, who became the youngest MVP in league history on the way to leading the Bulls to the best record in the association that year, if not for him, Bulls fans would have never known what an Eastern Conference finals 
looked like who who came up in the new millennium. Because like, this is the way I think about it. I can understand it if you was an early 90s baby because you witnessed the Grant Park parades. Mm -hmm. Even if you weren't like an avid basketball fan or really knew what you were witnessing at the time, your parents gave you memory of it. You saw the Bulls on WGN. You grew up with the championship banners in the arena. If you got a chance to go to the arena coming up as a kid, it was there. But it's a new generation of kids coming up. I can't expect a nine-year-old to have an affinity for something that they did not witness. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like our generation with the Bears. Like <laughs> old, older, older, older generations know what it was like to see the Super Bowl in 85. I came eight years later. I don't know what that what that did. I only know through the history in the archive, and it's cool to see, but I have never seen in my lifetime the Bears win a Super Bowl. They've gotten there, but even right. when they got there, they went against an all-time great. Like, and that was only one time, one time. So, and even though they're in a great place right now, and it remains to be seen what they do with the top overall pick in NFL draft, but to bring it back to the basketball side of things, like, this brand is getting real Dallas Cowboys-like, man. And my, my, my question I got to ask you is, me personally, I'm going to just say it. In my opinion, if you're a Bulls fan, and they not delivering on, on, on the championship expectations that you grew up with. I'm not telling you to, to, to disabandon them, but you might want to start checking out other teams <laughs> straight up in the Midwest because it's a perfect time to do it. Milwaukee's a great place to go and visit during NBA season. Cleveland's a good place to visit. Memphis is a good place to visit. Indiana's a good place to visit, too. They got Tyrese Halliburton when he's healthy. He's leading league in assists. You know, you got stars in those markets. But 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 I want to ask you just straight up before we move on to the next topic. Should Bulls faithful really continue to love a team whose current history, you could argue, would indicate don't love them back? <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I'm going to say this. It's like what well, Little Wayne said the best. I hate to see her go, but I love to watch her leave. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to see, you know, I hate to agree with you that, yeah, Bulls fans should start looking at other teams and holding the Bulls regime to higher expectations, considering we are a historical, historical franchise. One of the only few franchises in the league to, to win more than three championships. Like, come on now. We should be able to be having and we're the third largest media market in the world. We should be able to hold this franchise under the fire every year for championship expectations. But, you know, we, 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 we liked watching the Bulls leave in a lot of ways because we were so desensitized with acceptance of losing. So desensitized with the fact that, oh, we had all these losing seasons and let me get a player of caliber and, oh, we're winning again. So even though we won a championship, we at least made the playoffs. We're okay. We could take that. Yeah. I've, I've, I've sensed that from the fan base a lot. And that's a total difference 
from the era in which I grew up in. Yeah. Because the era I grew up in, all we gave a damn about was June. Mm-hmm. June. Championship. Finals. And I understand only one team can win it each year. And I know that it's tougher to contend now as opposed to the Michael Jordan era. Championship windows are more shorter than they've ever been in this league where free agency and blockbuster trades can change things within the blink of an eye. But when you know that and you you, you start to pay attention to things, you can't help but wonder, why don't Michael Reinsdorf and Jerry Reinsdorf think like that? Just why? And then it's, it, it, it's even more perplexing and funny when you look at the rest of the list because in the top 15, I don't know where he finished in the rankings, but LaMelo Ball was up there mm-hmm. among the top-selling jerseys. He plays in Charlotte. So anytime you got players in smaller markets finishing in the top 15 over your market, which happens to be this global brand, that's interesting to me. And when you really think about it, when have the Bulls had a star to even rival Michael since he left? Derek, you could say, came close, but he was a native son of the city. Everybody loved Derek and was mm-hmm. rooting for him to succeed. But I'm talking about like a true top five player. Not saying that Derrick Rose was not in his prime, but like a blockbuster star. Haven't I haven't seen it. If you would if you took Derrick Rose out the picture, I have not seen it. And well, Dwayne Wade to me does not count because like he wasn't in the prime of his career. When he came to Chicago. Right. And you, you keep talking about top five. When was the last time the Bulls actually got a top five player to come to the city? Thank you. It, that's, that hasn't happened. We almost had a good chance with having creating a big three or big four with LeBron, D-Wade, and Bryce. Right. That was the best we got, though, because it was because of Derrick Rose. It's because of the Coach Tibbs. It was because we actually had people outside the front office that were actually very respected. You know, and even now, the Bulls technically have some of that when you talk about across the league and the players and what they say about it. You know, there's a lot of respect for Bulls, current Bulls roster and coaching staff. However, the main difference is when you hold low expectations to a team that should be exceeding expectations every year, your mediocrity becomes accepted in a way that it just dismantles the reality of what winning franchises should be and, and attitudes and how they should move. The Bulls are literally, like you said, merchandise, top five team across the entire world. Literally, the planet Earth. We are the top five team in the planet Earth when it comes to merchandise and sales. We have a reason for that. We have plenty of reasons for that. We have six rings. We have Hall of Famers. We have legends. We have people that actually, you know, worked hard. And on top of that, some of those legends are representing the Bulls in different realms. The Bill Winningtons of the world 
you know, broadcasting radio games for 670 to score. Stacey King broadcasting mm-hmm. for NBC Sports Chicago. Horace Grant and Scotty Pippen and Tony Kuchoch at one point were ambassadors of the team. Like John Paxson ran the team as a, G- as a president. You had Bulls players that were from those winning franchises, those winning teams, helping the Bulls maintain this relevancy. And yet, you can't do the one thing you're supposed to do, which is if you did it right, from a mentality perspective, you could have a LA Lakers. You could have a Boston Celtics. You could have a, a chance to get top tier, top five talented superstars via trade or free agency willing to come over here. But your problem is you don't have the guts and the balls like the other guys do. The owners made moves. Red Arback made moves. Jerry Buss made moves. And they made it known. If we're going to keep winning, we got to keep swinging for the fences. We got to keep being aggressive. We can't settle. And because of that, championship after championship after championship, yes, it was in the early, you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s where winning was, I guess you could say in a lot of ways, much easier to come by. But the way they won, the way they stayed aggressive and relevant moving forward since then, we can't, I, I was, I, when, I, when I talk about this, Boston Celtics is a franchise where, we, where, as you know, constant winning, and then it just, it was just Paul Pierce, Antoine Walker, and just dead, it was just, and just dead weight, right? It wasn't much <laughs> success. But then Danny Ainge became Danny Ainge, went to work, got KG and Ray Allen, and now Boston is always in the, in the realm of winning. They're back to what it meant, what it means to win in championships. The Lakers always knew what it's like to win championships, but they never had a layoff since Magic. They only had a couple, they had a couple years since Magic. But when you got Kobe and Shaq, you were rolling for the next 20 years. Like that aggressiveness, and then you get LeBron James and then you win another championship. Like that type of aggressiveness, that type of pressure is something that should be implemented every year when you are consistently known for winning. But you, when you don't have that mentality, you regress in such a way that you become a lackluster, you know, the laughable part of the team of the, of the NBA. And the Bulls, in a lot of ways, they may not understand this, but as basketball fans and basketball heads like we are, they have become the laughing stock of large markets. Yeah. And you compare it to teams like the New York Knicks. We were the mm-hmm. they, they, we were the bottom laugh, you know, laugh, laugh, laughing stock of the NBA. Now the Knicks are getting better. Bulls have gotten better. But as iconic as the legendary franchise that the Bulls make, and we talking about arguing that with the Knicks, we only won a few titles, haven't won anything relevant recently. And yet they're still a big market. They're, they're still one of the main franchises. Most valuable in the league, more, more often than not, up there with the Bulls among the top five year in, year out, if you check four team valuations in the NBA each exactly. season. Exactly. But with the Bulls, knowing they have so much that comes with the name, that comes so much, they know so much when it comes with the franchise and the way that they win. It's not like one championship here and there. You're talking about two, three-peats. No one has ever done that since Shaq. Come on now. Like, there's, there's levels to this. And because of the fact that there's levels to this, there's not enough urgency 
in the front office and in ownership that says, yo, we need to flip this script. We need to get back to what it means to winning franchise, to winning championships again. And without that, you're going to get mediocre. You're going to get insanity doing the same routines, expecting different results. And this is why I'm proposing fans to like really think about the power that you have in this situation. Because one thing I know about Chicago, when it comes to the Cubs and the Bulls for some odd reason, the fans just accept mediocrity. But as a lifelong White Sox fan, not that I subscribe to this myself, and I'm more of an objective fan than a subjective fan. I don't really fan out over most things, to be honest with you. I keep an objective view on most things, even Chicago sports as a White Sox fan. But I know that when the White Sox are losing, fans aren't showing up to 35th. Mm-hmm. They go into other ballparks across the country if they go to ballparks across the country. Bulls fans, you hold that same exact power in this situation. You do. And I understand that you want to see the banners when you go to the game. But guess what? Them banners always going to be there. They always going to be there. The history always going to be there. But the history that you know, is not the history that your child knows. And if your child doesn't know it, but you do, and you have the power as a fan with your dollar to use it wisely, then do such. I'm not saying don't watch them completely. You can. That's what NBC Sports Chicago is for. Every game is on there, home and away. 82 a year. I'm just saying. Give it some thought. But I want to move along from discussing a team that dominated the 1990s to highlight the most recent remarks of another star from that era. As Hakeem Olajuwon recently took part in a recent exclusive with SI's Chris Ballard to discuss how post-up play among bigs has become extinct in the NBA and why he believes Nikola Jokic is the one over Joel Embiid when sitting down with the writer. Now, in a quote featured in the article, the Hall of Fame Center stated that he likes Embiid and has provided counsel to the All-Star Center, but then went on to question why the player who molded his game after Olajuwon settles for so many three-pointers inquiring over the process's offensive repertoire going on to proclaim Nikola Jokic as the savior of the post-up game, anointing him as the one, quote-unquote. Jokic and Embiid are set to square off against one another in the city of brotherly love as the Nuggets will be taking on the Sixers in the first game of a triple-header bill coming up this Saturday at 2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time on ABC as part of NBA Rivals Week. I thought it was a hell of an article from Chris Ballard talking about the element of post-up play and how a technique that was taught to some of the game's most dominant bigs has now fallen by the wayside. Its space and pace has been more predicated in the NBA more than ever before. It's become 
required, really, not just the necessity, but required that the big man knows how to spread the, the floor out. However, with that said, I think Olajuwon's comments missed the mark when it comes to Embiid, and I'll tell you why. It's one thing when you just jacking up shots and you clanking bricks left and right every time. It's another thing when you actually shoot at least 35% from the three-point line or better. Joel Embiid does that. On top of that, if I'm not mistaken, Joel Embiid shot a better percentage from three-point land a season ago than Jokic did, and he took fewer three-point field goal attempts than Jokic. Moreover, when Jokic posts up, and he does lead the league currently this year in post-ups per game, Jokic's not always looking to score on the block. Most of the time when Jokic posts up, he's seeking to set up or initiate some offense. He's not always seeking to just use his girth and size fully to just get two points. He also attempts three-point shots as well and can shoot the three ball, which he does to keep defenses honest. But the offense in Denver is predicated solely around uh, Jokic, excuse me, whereas in Philadelphia, Embiid is playing beside a pick-and-roll ball handler in James Harden now. And sometimes he has to step out and take three-point shots just so James can have space to operate. It makes no sense for him to just post up 15 to 20 times a night when that's not conducive to, to Harden as well as Tyrese Maxey, who are drivers and slashes and can get in that lane. You know, Joel and B fired back at Olajuwon's comments basically saying that this ain't the 90s, you know, where I could just solely post up all day. I, I, I got to take some threes every so often. That's pretty much what he said. I want to ask you for your what was your thoughts on that, man? Like, why do you believe that Nikola Jokic has become more appreciated than in B in the eyes of the public? And the reason why I'm having this conversation with you, bro, is because I'm part of this group chat as part of my fantasy basketball league. Mm-hmm. And I heard some guys say that they believe that Nikola Jokic, as we currently stand, is a top five center of all time. And I said, are we basing this off of numbers and accolades? Are we basing this off of pure talent? Every time I got a response, it was mostly due to the numbers, which I expected. But I I just want to, I want to know what, why you believe that Jokic has become so much more appreciated than Embiid, man. Cause like, to me, they, they wanted one. Um, I'll put it this way. And you know, we've talked about this component of things before, but, and I hate to go this route, but it's also reality. The NBA is, 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 is like supporting, is, the NBA is so, in, so big on international play that they emphasize the international players more than their own brothers that's running things on the court at times. And that's just the reality. I agree with everything you said, especially when it comes to Joel Embiid's response to 
Hakeem Olajuwon because he's right. This ain't the 90s anymore. You know, this isn't the time where you could just dominate in the paint all the time. You have to be able to be, be uh, diverse in your in your scoring portfolio. You got to be able to shoot the ball, but also be able to do both. You got to be able to multitask. And I'll be honest, I'll take it even a step further. Joel Embiid, even though he had his game is predicated off of the blueprint of Hakeem Olajuwon, he got other components of it to his game too. Exactly. And I'm and 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 that's what you want from a. A, a new generational big man like that. Someone that's adding different elements from different players to their game, even though you may be the main player, that's the blueprint for them to follow. I'm going to be honest with you, Joel Embiid can handle the ball. He can handle the ball. And in a lot of ways, if you see the way he scores sometimes, it's a dribble, it's the dribble, the hezzy, pull up. Name one person that used to play in Philadelphia that actually did a lot of that. Allen Iverson. Yep. There's there's a lot of different components to Joel Embiid's game that isn't predicated just on the blueprint that Hakeem Olajuwon followed. He took it to another level. So we can't just look at him and say, oh, that's Hakeem Olajuwon. Or if you do, you got to say he's a more advanced version of that because of what he can do so well on the court. Now, when it comes to Jokic, I can see why, in a lot of ways, Hakeem said he's the one because he plays in a similar way to Hakeem Olajuwon would in the post. But at the same time, he's just a freakish guard. He's he's a big guard. He can pass the ball. He can facilitate. He can literally run an offense. They the man played point guard at center. Yeah. You know, he, he was a he was a center that played point guard in the playoffs. Like so, he's so diverse in what his skill set is. He he's a good person to view and model your game after. He is a good person for that. But at the same time, they're two different people. Joel Embiid is one version of himself that is a more athletic version of what Hakeem Olajuwon can do. Jokic isn't as athletic he's not as smooth he's not as you know he doesn't have the charismatic that comes with the game that Joel brings it's different so you can't compare the two which is why you have to respect both at the levels of the of the game that they play but the NBA is so in a lot of ways hellbound on having the one guy to pump up the most it's like the to me the way I look at it it's like the NFL and Joe Burrow. I love the NFL. I love Joe Burrow. But ever since he came from LSU, they've been they've been trying to prop this man up in this dude in a lot of ways to me to be the next Tom Brady. They've yeah, they they trying to bring this brother up. They yeah. have. They have. And the reality is, I don't know if he's gonna get there, but look who he just played this past uh Sunday. Played they played Josh Allen. At one point, they were saying Josh Allen's the next man to beat. But since Joe Burrow is so good, oh, we got to elevate this brother. We got to make him the, as one of the main faces of the franchise to compete against our winning product. Nikola Jokic is the one man that could compete against the league's winning products right now in the big man department. And because of the fact that he's also an international player, and I'm going to be honest with you, a white international player. I'm glad you brought that up. The fact that he's a white international player. 
they are pushing that to the next. They are pushing him, and they're going to obviously push him more than the brother international player that's doing the same exact stuff and just in his own different way. And that's something that we um, that I hate that we have to go through, but it's also the reality. And that's something that should not be dismissed. And to add to your point, Jokic is more of a soft-spoken guy as opposed to a Joel Embiid who, from Cameroon, learned the English language through talking trash mm-hmm. and admitted that on many podcasts and, and so forth. And I think the fact that he does that on top of playing the game in a way that's very demonstrative and with force can at times intimidate people. But when you when you bring up those points, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And then you, you bring up Jokic and his all-around skill set, which brings me back to what Elijah Wan said in the article where he said, you know, I didn't always want to roam around in the paint. But back in my era, when I tried to play with the ball in my hand, which he could do and, and you know, and, and lead the break, mm-hmm. I was told to get back in my cage with the cage representing the paint. Right. by all of my coaches. And that's why I found the comment so odd when he was saying like NB settles for threes because I'm like that's not true because I know Nikola Jokic leads the league in post-up touches. But you want to know who's number 2? NB. One thing that I also know about NB who I actually own on my fantasy team, by the way, one thing that I know about the dude is like just watching his games on a night in night out basis. He starts out on a block every night. That's why he able to get to the free throw line at a high clip. Mm-hmm. And if they send a double, he's either going to attack that double quick looking to score two, or if he can't get through you and, and create the foul, he's going to kick it out to the open shooter. If he can find him in time enough. I, I, I think Jokic and the fact that he is a European-born player who had a bar set low for him due to the fact that he was a second-round pick, super exceeding it, it makes him like the Slumdale millionaire figure and mm-hmm. all of this. And as a result, he's become the people's champ. But I find it so funny how, like you, you talked about Joe Burrow and how the NFL is pumping him up to be the next Tom Brady. We have a bad habit of doing this in the NBA with European-born players. First, it was Giannis. And as much as I love Giannis, and I know that he's from Athens, Greece, he has Nigerian roots. But what do we label him as? The Greek freak. Mm -hmm. We sold him. Made him a two-time MVP. Earned it. Don't get me wrong. He put the work in. He deserves the credit that he's he's gotten for it, even if you may feel one of his MVPs might not be valid. I know I'm one of those people, but he earned it. But then as soon as they pump Giannis up, they switch from Giannis to Luka. Mm-hmm. They switch from Luka to now Jokic. 
And Jokic is putting up a near triple-double stat line. I don't want to take anything away from Nikola Jokic. He is a hell of a talent. And he's on pace to put up the most assists by a center in a single season. He's averaging nearly 10 assists a game. To put that in perspective, Wilt never did that. I get that he has the numbers. I get that he has the metrics. He's an analytic guy at this point. I understand all of that. But let's think about the agendas that are being displayed and how that shapes and impact the way in which we see the game across Mm -hmm. all tangents, regardless of your race or your demographics. Mm -hmm. And when I see that, I'm just like, whoa. Like, we talk about Jokic so much that we don't even think about the fact that Embiid is averaging 30 for the second straight year in a row. Embiid led the league in scoring last year and was the first big man to do that since Shaq in the year 2000 at the turn of the new millennium. That's a big deal, especially in an era where the game is guard-oriented. And the offense is mostly predicated around the guard. And you bring up how Embiid can handle the ball. Yeah, he can. He can do those things. But he doesn't necessarily have to on his Philadelphia 76ers team because he has Tyrese Maxey and James Harden who can set him up as well as others. And they need space to operate. But Joel Embiid is just as dominant of a player in a force in the post as Nikola Jokic is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the reason why we're pushing so many of these white international players is due to the fact that America does not have a homegrown white star in the new millennium. Yeah. The league, in most people's eyes, who came up in 1980 after, and I believe they're right when they say this, the league, for most people, started in the 80s. And it started with two figures, Magic and Bird. Mm -hmm. And they sold you on the fact that one was black and one was white. Mm -hmm. They did that. Well, now you don't have the white American star to sell. And like I was telling the guys in the group chat, I don't have a problem with Nikola Jokic as a basketball player. Mm -hmm. If you want to make him the MVP this season based on the body of work that he produced, fine. But I do have a hard time fathoming the fact that He's on pace to become the first player since Larry Bird to take home three straight MVPs. Mm-hmm. And then to put all that in perspective, do you know that Nikola Jokic wasn't even among the top 15 in jersey sales? And I'm not saying that that reflects his talent, but let's just think on that. Do the fans really? Like Nikola Jokic? Or are you have you been force fed Nikola Jokic so much to the point where you feel as though you have enough knowledge based on stats and, and analytics to say he's a top five center all time? Because, like I told the guys in the group chat, I'm not putting Moses Malone over him. I don't know if I'm putting Hakeem over him. Mm-hmm. Now, if he wins, that's a different story, especially in Denver. I respect the hell out of that. Cause that's not easy to do in a small market, but man, like that's, that's, that's crazy, man. That's just crazy to me. And, and, and I do think that there are other factors that play behind this. And that's why I had to like ask those guys, what, what do we mean when we say top five center all time? Are we basing this off of numbers or accolades? And he's had a dominant 
three-year run. Mm -hmm. He has in the league. Jokic has, but so has Embiid. Yeah. They both been one, two in the MVP ranking. And you can debate all day long, but to sit up here and tell me that Embiid doesn't deserve the same acclaim in some areas, that's crazy to me. Because I'm like, if Jokic is a top five center all time, then what is Embiid? To myself, right. that, that's what it made me think about. Yeah, I don't know. No, you, you made some very good points, man. I think what, and I also think what makes it worse is the fact that you talk about, you know, America not having that white homegrown talent. You talk about Joel Embiid. He was an American homegrown brother. Thank you. And that's what makes it interesting to me because you have a, another international player that you're pitting against another international player. player. And they've done, they, you know, you did it with Giannis and Luka. Now you want to do it with Jokic and Embiid. And I think that this is about to get even more crazier because once Chet Holmgren comes into the mix, who is a white American born player, mm -hmm. I can't wait to see how they hype him up. I'm not saying that it's not warranted. I want to see Chad Holmgren succeed. I want to see how he elevates the game forward in Oklahoma City when his time comes to return to action following his licks Frank injury that he suffered at Jamal Crawford Pro-Am last summer. Mm -hmm. But, man, like, what are, what are we doing? Are we really watching basketball or are we trying to sell basketball? And if so, then we need to think about these awards a little bit differently as fans of the game. Because when guys in my group chat, if a fantasy league tells me, well, you know, you three straight MVPs, that's nothing to, to laugh at. You got to think about these things in full context. Jokic is winning three straight MVPs in the social media era. In some, in some ways, you can say that the media lane has been more watered down than ever before, just as much as the MVP award itself. Mm-hmm. But I want to carry things over from the discussion on a pair of all-star centers in the MVP race to part three of our buyers and sellers segment, where we'll examine a trio of teams again to determine whether we think they are going all in at the crap table towards a playoff push or evaluating the future state of where they stand among the rest of the players in the NBA. The Utah Jazz starting out 24 and 25 record through 49 games in the west they sit ninth in the play-in picture as of this recording 15 and 9 when they play at home in front of the jazz faithful at salt lake city 9 and 16 away from the crib they sit fourth overall in offensive rating 26 in defensive rating after appearing to be one of the top defenses in the league during the early days of the year under first year head coach will hardy Lori Markin has put together a season worthy of an all-star nod, leading Utah in points and rebounds, putting up nearly 25 and nine in both of those departments, shooting 52% from the floor. Walker Kessler leads all rookies in total blocks, been putting together a stellar first season that can land him on an all-rookie first team by the end of this year. Jordan Clarkson has been doing his thing, averaging 20 with four assists per night as a scorer and a playmaker besides Mike Conley Jr. in the backcourt. Is the team that plays in the city hosting this year's All-Star weekend festivities a buyer or a seller to you, Josh? Uh, I think it's still going to be a seller. Um, I think they're going to, you know, they have valuable assets and veteran assets 
that you put on that trading market, teams will make good call, will call for. And um, knowing that, you know, they're in this rebuild, retooling season, and the fact that they're doing so well, especially offensively, sitting, as you mentioned, fourth in the fourth in the entire league, um, they're going to look for younger talent, younger, they're probably going to need to look for younger players that could help assist in the defensive realm. Um, whether that's, and I think that's going to be more on the, on the wing side of things compared to um, they, they're, they're loaded in the big man department. They, they're ready to roll. Uh, I think they just need more help on the wing side and a little bit of backup point guard play. When you talk about if you leave Conley, uh, if you get rid of Conley and you got to deal with Colin Sexton as your point guard moving forward, you know, they need some backup point guard play, but I think they're going to go a lot more on the wing depth side of things um, as they unload those veteran players that they have. And I think going to also use some of those picks too to prepare themselves for the upcoming draft. Um, so that way, you know, they can build through the draft as well, which is something that we know Danny Ainge is a maestro at doing. So I think they're going to sell. I, I do think they're going to sell and they're in a good position to sell considering that they can get a lot of good, talented picks back or players back for what for the players that they can sell with. And you never know if they get some luck in the draft, they could be part of that Victor winning bio sweepstakes too. Yeah, I, I, I think that they're going to be a seller too. I think that they're going to be a seller. And I would go as far to say that this is the team that is the most likely to sell among all teams. And I tell you why, like Josh said, they got a ton of veterans that can help some teams that are really seeking to compete and elevate themselves to compete for a championship. Jordan Clarkson being the main guy. Mm -hmm. Mike Conley can be had at the right price. Kelly Olenek, who is hurt right now, but is set to return within the next week from an ankle injury. He's a guy that can help a title contender. Got a chance to see him play for the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals down in the bubble a couple years ago. So he can help a team. I, I see a lot of pieces on this team that could be moved. And, and personally, I don't feel like any player on this roster is safe outside of Lori Marketing and Walker Kessler. And i tell you why, as you alluded to, Josh. They need some help on the wing. And I believe that this team, as great as they have been, and surprised many people who didn't project them to be this good coming into the year, I don't think this team has found their number one option offensively yet. Mm -mm. And until they do, I think what Danny Ainge is going to try and do is build the foundation of this team through the trade deadline, whether that's with accumulating additional young talent in the form of current players or using the current crop of players in which he has that are veterans on the trade market to acquire draft picks to help him build the team out down the road for next season and beyond. Utah's in a very, very good place, though, I must admit in a very good place to take a gamble like they did on Lori marketing and watch that pay off. Who's looking like one of the building blocks that they can utilize to establish a foundation 
with Walker Kessler, who I believe will be tremendous when it comes to them having good defenses in the years to come. Because one thing that's essential when you got a big is him being able to make things happen in that drop coverage. And we know Walker Kessler can do that. He's get he's gotten to the point where now scouts and teams around the league, they have to consider and, and think about whether or not they should be driving to the rim, you know, because they, they might end up on the wrong side of a poster. And um, I, I, I like what, what Utah is doing, but I think they're a seller, but they're a seller who I think they have the intention to buy. They're just seeking to buy young talent. So right. therefore, for this segment, I would say that they are a seller. I agree with you on that, Josh. But I want to move on to the Atlanta Hawks. 24 and 23 record through 47 games in the East, sitting eighth in the play-in race right now as we're talking. 13 and 10 at home, 11 and 13 away. It's been an up-and-down season for the team who went on a run towards the Eastern Conference Finals just two years ago but they managed to win seven out of their last 10 outings, 18th in defensive and offensive rating at the moment. Trey Young's been playing some stellar hoops over that time span, posting nearly 26 a night to go with nine assists per game as he's live in action, taking on the Bulls as of this recording, alongside his backcourt mate, DeJounte Murray, who's put up 22, five and five over his last 10, shooting 50% from the floor, 45% from three-point land. Is the franchise in the peach state seeking to buy or sell to you? They're buying. I see them buying. Okay. Um, They need more wing depth, um, especially with um, DeAndre Hunter not being fully healthy. But we we know this problem stirring, that's been stirring from Atlanta since John Collins signed that five-year max deal. There's always been some type of issues for him, and he's always been in some type of trade de- trade rumors. You trade him, which I'm not against if I'm Atlanta. I'm not against trading him, but it depends on what you get back. They're going to need a stretch four. They're going to need a stretch four that can play that pick-and-pop situation with Trey Young and make it harder for defenses to guard. Because when you just do a pick-and-roll with Capella, yes, Capella's a great screener, but it's kind of easy for the defense to guard because all you got to do is just trap Trey Young and force him to push to, to, to move the ball in the opposite direction and where and, and it eliminates options for Trey Young. Now, if you get a pick and pop guy, I don't know who that four guy, that four string that four guy can be, but if you get a pick and pop guy, you got to choose between the pop guy, the guy that Trey Young can pass it back to that guy, or Trey Young can keep it and go to work one on one. It make that it'll make that defense a lot uh, more difficult to handle offensively. So, I think that's the route they should go, and I believe that's the route they will go. I'll even go as far as adding booster to the depth of the bench. Should I dare say give Carmelo Anthony a call? Someone that can come in and give you a stretch for presence himself for the cheap, put him on a veteran minimum deal, and he'll guarantee you can guarantee you at least. Yeah, I mean, last year he shot 35 to 40% from three. And that's him coming off the bench. I can't see, I can't see why he can't do that again this year. Yeah, you'll give up defense, but that's why you got Capella. That's why you got guys like them there for rim protectors. You can you can cover his his lapses defensively. 
that that may be an option for you considering you trying to get over the hump. You're going to need some scoring down the line outside of DeJounte Murray, outside of Trey Young. The, the Carmelo Anthony is a great asset to use from a three-point shooting perspective. So I think they're going to be buyers, but they could be also buyers in the um in, in the in the free agent market. I forgot what they call that market after the trade deadline. Uh, the buyout but, market. The buyout market. Yeah, right. maybe they may be contenders in a buyout market as well. When you talk about um, it, it, when you talk about in ways, they're still in a lot of ways trying to replace what they lost in Danilo Gallinari. That's that's a good point. Danilo was a huge presence in Atlanta, man, and helping them space the floor out, gave him another shooter. I think that the Hawks are definitely a buyer, but I don't believe that John Collins might be the only piece in which they seek to move. Onyeka Okongwu has been putting together some stellar minutes for the Hawks, especially during the stretch in which Clint Capella was down. And Atlanta has a new front office regime. Mm-hmm. Salute to Cal Corver. Yep. Getting on as an assistant GM over there, by the way. And also Landry Fields getting that GM role with Travis Slank moving up into like the president she'll see, I believe, over there in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. That 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 that's cool to see two former players in the front office. But with that said, I wonder if they saw something in that sample size went on Yekka. Because if they did, I think Clint Capella might be able to be had. And the reason why I say that is some teams that's gonna be on the market for some bigs Mm -hmm. and they may be willing to give up wings, which Atlanta needs more of in order to go about elevating their rosters. And when I look at Atlanta, AJ Griffin has been solid in his rookie season. there, giving them consistent minutes and such. I I agree with you. They, They definitely need a wing that can stretch that floor with some size on them. And if they get rid of John Collins, I believe that would be the ideal piece that they're seeking to target. So I I think they're a buyer, but they got some pieces they can sell. I just wonder what would they get back for those pieces Mm -hmm. to help them try and ascend in the East before it's too late. But I want to move on to the third team in part three of our buyers and sellers segment, Minnesota Timberwolves sitting at 500 with a 24 and 24 record through 48 games currently facing off against the Rockets while we sit and record this week's episode eighth in the West play in picture sit just a half game up on the jazz for that spot 16 and 10 in games at the target center out in downtown Minneapolis, eight and 14 on the road, 16th and offensive rating. 14th in defensive rating. All-star center Carl Anthony Towns has been out for the last two months with a calf strain and is said to not have a set timetable as to when he will return to on-court activities. However, that hasn't stopped Anthony Edwards from picking up the slack. He's averaging a career best 24 points to go alongside six rebounds and nearly five assists a night 
is he's helped to guide Minnesota to an 8-3 record in January thus far. Nas Reed has also been an invaluable presence in the Wolves lineup in the absence of Cat as well. However, his name has been in some trade rumors recently. Been some talks about the Clippers being interested in him, as well as the Nuggets. You've also heard some talks about D'Angelo Russell potentially getting shipped to Miami in exchange for Kyle Lowry as the Timberwolves are seeking to acquire point guard depth potentially with Jordan McGlawan also being out with a calf strain injury similar to um, Carl Anthony Towns at the present moment. Are the Timberwolves buyers or sellers to you, man? They buyers. They buyers. Um, they understand now that they got to give Ant-Man Ant- Ant- some more help offensively, especially since you gave up a lot of that uh, to get Rudy Gobert to help out balance out your defense. So they got to give Ant-Man some help. Dare I say, though, one person might be coming back to the Minnesota Timberwolves and giving you the celebration like they just won the championship like he did last season. I knew he's going to bring that up. I think Pat Bell <laughs> might be finding his way back to Minnesota. I just read about that, too. <laughs> I, I think he might find his way back to Minnesota, and that could be ideal for him. But imagine who could also go to, L- go to L.A. in that trade. D'Lo might be going back to the team that drafted him. Now, if that happens, if they were somehow to pull that off, that's ideal for LeBron James. That's ideal for LeBron James because now you got your starting point guard. Now you got someone that you can ball with. Now you got someone that when LeBron James can't score, you got D-Lo coming off that screen and he can create his own shot while also has the while also having the vision to facilitate. Now, Will that work well considering you do have Russell Westbrook now on your bench? Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I think D'Lo can handle it considering he can not just play on the ball, but off the ball as well. He's shown he can do it in both, not just in uh, Brooklyn, but also in Golden State. So there's capabilities there for sure. But I can definitely see Minnesota being buyers because the current makeup of this team right now is not working. It's not working to the level of expectation that it can. And with them giving up so much for Rudy Gobert, you got to recoup some of that back, or otherwise you got to start winning. And some moves going to have to be made for either one to, to stick. I think Minnesota's definitely a buyer. Ain't no way in hell you're not no buyer anytime you give up all that draft capital they gave up to Utah. Mm-hmm. On top of Walker Kessler, who sure as hell would have looked nice in a Timberwolves uniform. And I think they got a preview of what it would have looked like with that 20 and 20 game he had on them on MLK Day a week ago. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they 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 gotta be buyers. They gotta be buyers. And I think the majority of the league will be because 80% of the teams currently, as we're talking and recording this week, are still in contention for the for the play-in mm-hmm. and it's only about you know so many teams that's really looking like they're gonna be the front runners in the lottery so most of these teams are still in it and t- with minnesota being one yeah I-, I do view them as a buyer d'angelo russell in-, in la though that would be very interesting he wouldn't even really have to play the point guard because you know lebron he ain't coming off that ball for nobody but he's a knockdown catch and shoot guy 
And D'Lo like playing off of the ball. So that might be a move that he wouldn't mind at all being on a veteran-laden roster like that where if, you know, they could set him up and then if he needs to initiate offense, he can. But I don't think he's really too comfortable playing point guard according to what I was reading prior to the show. He's been saying that he's not really that comfortable, but he's doing it out of necessity at this point because they're down depth in that department. But yeah, mm-hmm. that, that would be interesting. But I, I think they're buyers. Nas Reed, though, is a guy that I wouldn't be shocked if they sought to sell high on because he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. And with these teams in need of backup big man and, and help in that department, Hell, I wouldn't be shocked if the Brooklyn Nets tried to get Nas Reed, to tell you the truth. I mean, as much as we've been talking about praising Nick Claxton on this show, they still need a backup big with some girth on them and some size. So when they get into the playoffs and the game is predicated in the half court, they can make some things happen. But I want to move on to other news. And you were talking about the Lakers, Josh. They made a move at the top of this week with the Washington Wizards, agreed to a deal with with the team in the nation's capital. Rui Hachimura going to Tinseltown in exchange for Simeon alum and guard Kendrick Nunn to go with a total of three second-round draft picks at the top of this week as the following move was initially brought to the light by Sham Sharani of The Athletic, who said the two sides were engaged in serious talks at the onset. Hachimura's converted on 42% of wide-open threes this season. I'm sure LeBron would love having him aboard, helping him generate plenty of those off-driving kicks moving forward. This is a team that needed some size on the wing, and Hachimura provides that sound defender. What you think of this move real quick, man, before we wrap up the show? It's interesting. I, I I didn't expect it. Um, I will say three second round picks, considering that this is even though he is a first round draft pick, hasn't lived up to to the you know potential of what that player is supposed to look like being drafted in the top ten. You giving a three first three second round picks? I don't know about that. That may be a little steep. However, <laughs> you know this is the Lakers and LeBron already made it clear he don't care about picks. So. Uh, for them to do what they had to do to get to get someone that, in a lot of ways, in retrospect, like you said, they need size. They need someone that can also be able to be comfortable shooting the ball uh, from deep, which is what he provides. And he brings versatility from the 3-4 spot. So you don't have to always have LeBron James trying to play as the four-man uh, in the paint, even though there may be some advantages to it. You don't have to force him to play down low in the paint every night. Um, Rui Ajamero. Rui, Rui can do that, especially on the defensive end. So I think it's a pretty solid move considering the Lakers need to make some type of retooling to their roster. Um, but you know, it's the Lakers. They they got a lot, they got a ways to go, man. Nice. So, so I'm glad they made, you know, some type of move that can benefit them in a lot of ways. Um, but that that shipping price to me is still is still a little steeper than what I would have preferred. I think they actually did well, considering the fact that they didn't have to give up no more first-round picks. 
I, 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 I give them that. I, I, I think that's not a bad trade. Rui Hachimura was a guy that needed to change the scenery to me. Mm-hmm. He kind of got thrown into the fray in Washington early on, but had some injuries, fell out of the rotation because they featured several players at his position after he missed the majority of games last year with a bone bruise. He's going to provide this veteran-laden squad with a 6'9 dude that they could put at the 3 or the 4, got a 7'2 wingspan. When you think about who they've been putting at the wing lately and Troy Brown, Austin Reeves, and so forth, he's going to find time there right away. Mm-hmm. And if he could just be a quality rotational piece, a guy that knocks down his catch-and-shoot looks consistently, which is the question mark, can he do it consistently? He's proven that he can this season, but he's only gotten like 50 attempts wide open. That's going to change. He's going to get a lot of wide open looks playing next to LeBron as well as Anthony Davis when he returns. He knocks Mm -hmm. those down, and he defends well, and he continues to be that off-ball cutter that most people knew him to be at Gonzaga. He can eat in L.A. I really think he can eat. But I want to move on to games to watch on week 15 of the NBA calendar, starting off with Thursday, January 23rd, New York at Boston. Celtics currently boast the longest win streak in the association. They've garnered victories in nine straight games as it's recording. They earned a come-from-behind win against the Warriors last week. Hard-fought victory on the road against Toronto without Jason Tatum, who was out of commission due to a wrist injury. Grant Williams and Malcolm Brogdon, Combined to score 48 out of Boston's 62 points off of the bench to help the defending Eastern Conference champs exit with a two-point win. Horford even made some key plays down the stretch with his defense. This should be an interesting battle to see how long they can keep this up as they continue their winning ways and they look like a team that's hell-bent on getting back to their second NBA Finals once again this upcoming June. Going up against Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, and a competitive Knicks bunch. Shall make this one a very fun matchup to monitor. Cleveland at Oklahoma City on Friday, January 24th. 7 o'clock tip-off Central Standard Time on NBA League Pass. Evan Mobley, he just put up 38 points. Didn't attempt a free throw or a three-pointer. And was making smaller guards play a pay for trying to defend him on that block, was looking like a young Anthony Davis out there. If he could keep that up, especially with a Cleveland Cavaliers squad who's currently been playing without Donovan Mitchell the last couple of games due to a groin injury, although he's expected to come back later on this week, I believe. If they can keep that up, that should be a competitive matchup, especially against an OKC squad with a stellar backcourt right now, SGA and Josh Giddy. And they've been getting a lot of big-time help from role players such as Isaiah Joe, a guy I didn't even mention when we talked about the Thunder last week, man. They found him out of Philly. He's been mm-hmm. shooting the lights out from the perimeter. I got to give him his flowers. And last but not least, um, I, I could have easily picked the game between Cleveland and the Clippers on, on Sunday at 6 o'clock this, this upcoming week. I, I could have easily picked that, but – I got to go with the, the 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 game we was talking about earlier, hyping up. Denver and Philadelphia. Nicole Jokic, Joel Embiid. It's a pair of centers, man, that's topping the MVP, 
NBA MVP voting since the turn of the decade. One, two. Jokic averaging a near triple-double stat line. Embiid, he scored 30 or more in every game in 2023. Thus far, as it is recording, Denver's won nine out their last 10. Phillies won eight out of their last 10 coming into this week of NBA action. Plus, this game features Jamal Murray, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey to go alongside of Michael Porter Jr. Nuggets hold the top spot in the West as it is recording. They got a game and a half lead on Memphis. Sixers are up a game over the Bucks for the number two seed out East as we speak. It's a personal rivalry between centers. You got two elite teams. Could it be a finals preview? Let's find out. What's your top games to watch this week? That's going to be a good game considering Hakeem Olajuwon is forcing you to pick sides. So uh, <laughs> that's definitely going to be a heated one. Joel and B going to come ready. For, for, for that, I, that I know, right? He gonna be I ready. know, right? He, he should, especially after last year, because I feel like when Jokic pulled up in the Philly and they escaped with a win, that's what kind of helped him uh, cement his MVP status. But exactly, man. But I, you, I know you went through the different days of the week. Mine are all happening in one night, baby. Wednesday night. <laughs> Wednesday night, January 25th. The day where you should expect this episode to be released to the public. Yes, sir. First game. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you, brother. ESPN got it right. You got the first game. Brooklyn Nets against 76ers. Ben Simmons comes back to Philly. I got to see how I got to see how Ben reacts to that, especially since Right now, he has more fouls than field goals. Just saying. <laughs> so I got to see how that looks compared for him to come back and play in Philly. And not to mention, Kyrie Irving, the maestro himself. Man. The most skilled point guard ever in history is letting it be known. Don't worry, KD. Superman, I got you. It's all good. Shazam. Because this man has went to work ever since. Not just when he come back from every, uh, with all the latest controversy and stuff that he's dealt with, but since KD's been down, we saw we saw Kyrie Irving at his best, especially clutch Kyrie Irving in the fourth quarters. That's something that I can't wait to see. Considering the last time Kyrie played in played in Philly, he shut down James Harden. Yeah, he did. I remember that. So that's a game you got to watch. And then, of course, you got the Memphis Grizzlies against Golden State Warriors. You gotta, we gotta watch how how that rivalry is brewing up, you know, with what recently has taken place, and you know, with them with the performances that they had last year, last couple of years in the in the playoffs, you know, now's the year where the Memphis has a chance to turn the table, sitting at sitting in the top two, three in the Western Conference, Golden State Warriors are still the champs, but they're starting to find their groove a little bit. Want to see how that how see how that plays out, but. For me personally, the game I got a circle is actually in between both of those games. The Minnesota Timberwolves against the New Orleans Pelicans. I got to see Ant-Man eat. I want to see what Ant-Man does against the C.J. McCollums and Zion Williamson's of the world. I want to see how Rudy Gobert goes up against Valachunas. I want to see how, you know, Carl City Towns matches up against that stretch four that they got going on in New Orleans with Jackson Hayes. Larry Nance Jr., even Herb Jones at times. I need to see how the, I want to see how all those players come together um, for a great night of basketball, which we know as the Minnesota Timberwolves are currently sitting eighth in the West, Pelicans are sitting third. 
I got to see how that I got to see how that comes together. But those are my games of the week happening in one night. You wouldn't even got to go anywhere. Just stay here in one, <laughs> stay in one area for one night. Have one screen on the league pass and the other screen on ESPN. And those are the games I, I advise you to watch all in one night. Have your popcorn ready because you're going to have a heck of a week. Oh, for sure. And in the ever tight Western Conference, might I add, even though Minnesota and New Orleans have stars banged up, that should be a treat. It should be a treat. Jonas Valanciunas has been playing some excellent ball and putting that team on his back lately besides C.J. McCollum, who's been doing the same as well. And yeah, Ant-Man's definitely been carving up some real estate out in Minnesota, putting up some big-time performances. I believe he had a 40 ball against Houston to close out last weekend. And I got to give kudos to Kyrie Irving. What he yeah. did to close out the weekend – Telling Royce O'Neal, hey, don't come out here and help me. I got Stephen Curry. I'm going to not only make sure that I light him up offensively, but I'm going to lock him up. Mm-hmm. And the performances that he's been putting on in the fourth quarter of games, even in some of the Nets' losses, as they did lose their first four games without Kevin Durant, have been incredible to watch especially these last few. And for them to go into Utah and get a big win and finish the weekend last week, earning a comeback victory against Golden State, man, that definitely was something that deserved to be lauded and appreciated because he's not only looking to score, he's being a high-volume facilitator, and he's playing defense and he's showing that maturation that a lot of people have wanted to see and doubted that he had it in him, such as Kendrick Perkins. But I ain't going to name no other names. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm going to end the show on that note. I want to thank everybody who took out the time to listen to yet another edition of Open Run presented to you by War Media. Make sure to follow us on social media, on the Instagram, the Twitter, the TikTok, the YouTube page at War Media Vids. For myself, Gabriel Wilkins, my man Josh Hicks. So long, everybody.